Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Sakara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Sakara Life. So why do you feel like it was important that we start our podcast and launch it with an episode of just us as episode one. Because I feel like most people start with Oprah or right. no, something celebrity. And we were like, you know, we kind of want it to, to be a non-celebrity like us. I think, yeah, a lot of people would have said, you have so many great people coming onto your podcast. Who are you going to launch with? Is it going to be one of your celeb clients? Is it going to be one of your model friends? Something like that. But really, I think it has to start with us because, and start with our stories because Sakara started with our stories. Sakara didn't start out as a business. It didn't start out anywhere near what it is today. It really just started because of what we went through and how we got here and what our needs were. And so I think it's important to start with that lay lay down the foundation yeah. of the why. Yeah. Why why does this even exist? That's what I was going to say is everything we do whether we're serving you food or metabolism powder or an event or a podcast we always like to start with why. The yeah. end. The end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we always say that Sakara didn't start out as a business. And sometimes we even joke that it started when we met each other in 7th grade. Do you think that's when it started? Um, I mean, I think that's when my acne started, so maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but your, your body image stuff was starting even earlier. Even earlier, so maybe it even started before that. Yeah, I mean, we always say that everything we went through is the only reason we're here. And when we were going through it, that was really, like, it was impossible to kind of really know that, even though I feel like in somewhere we, we did know that we were kind of on our mission and that our suffering and... I don't know if I knew. Yeah. Even deep in the suffering, I don't know if I yeah, knew. Yeah, maybe hindsight's for, always twenty twenty. Like, yeah. now I can be like, yeah, a little part of us knew, but that's, no. like, so my Sakara brain and not my... Like, while you're in it, you're just so in it. Yeah. In the struggle. In the struggle. I think, you know, looking back to being 22, uh, really in, like, the lowest of lows, deepness of it all, of the acne, of the crazy work life and also just really not knowing where I was going in life at all. Um, That overwhelm of what am I doing with my life? What, where am I going? Who am I going to be? I just looking for a path. Yeah. Feeling terrible. But that was in our 20s. Let's start like way before. I feel like we should start at the beginning. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like when our, when our 
issues, yours being acne, mine being body image issues, like when did they really start? When did acne really start for you? Because it's funny, I think about knowing you since, what, seventh grade, and, like, I don't remember. I don't remember it. Well, like, I, I didn't. bangs. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was able to hide hide it under my bangs. It started under my bangs. I was able to hide under my bangs. Um, and I think, you know, growing up, I actually – I started getting into modeling at age four, I believe. I remember that you were modeling for Lisa Frank. And – I think I had a lot of pressure on myself to become something. And I feel like that pressure and that stress was internalized and it started to manifest on my skin, like putting up a barrier so that I couldn't become that. Mm. Yeah, they say everything from something like acne to even weight gain is a way to hide from the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I was doing. You were hiding your light. Yeah, allowing myself not to. I, I think I was scared of success or scared of being different from the group, mm. from, you know, talking about, oh, you won't be able to go to school with regular kids. You'll need a, a tutor and look at moving to New York and all of these different things. And... I think I just wanted to be a regular kid. And at the same time, you know, my mom was saying school is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Be smart, learn, be able to support yourself and have a good job. Where do you think that idea that you wanted to be something like, where does that come from? How does it start at such an early age that you felt the pressure to be something? People talking about what you can be. Mm-hmm. And I remember my uncle telling me, oh, you'll be able to, you know, like buy a Ferrari at 17. <laughs> You're like, yes, please. <laughs> it sounds great. But that's what if what if I can't? Mm. What if I can't? That's so interesting. So it's better to not even try than to fail. And so you feel like the acne was a representation of you not wanting to be all that you could be. Mm-hmm. And that the anxiety that that caused was the acne also. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what age? What age did, did like the acne really start? Where you were like, "Wow, I have acne." I think twelve, eleven, twelve, somewhere in there. I think eleven must have been eleven. I was actually going to the John Casablanca School of Modeling that was um, with Elite Modeling Agency, Model Management, and. I remember we were taught all about skincare, and I was the only one in the group who had any type of acne. So I think that's when it started. And I remember, it's funny, it's hard to kind of remember what actually happened versus now we are so used to telling our story. Mm -hmm. And obviously everything in our my air quotes in our story actually happened, but we've also abbreviated it so much Mm -hmm. that sometimes it's hard to kind of, like, I don't remember you really. I mean, I knew you had acne, of course, like you could see it, but it's such a, um, it's such an example of how much we internalize what it means. Mm -hmm. Where we see it in ourselves, but maybe not in each other because We just see each other's personality. Yeah, like you were my best friend. We had so much fun. You're beautiful. You're smart. Like I didn't, 
I only thought about it when you thought about it. Like when you were talking right. about you were going to go on Accutane and you were doing mm-hmm. another laser. You were driving down to Tucson to do another laser or mm-hmm. whatever. Like those were really the only times I thought about it. Right. Because it wasn't something like I see as you. Mm-hmm. But it's so – it's such an example of how our insecurities are worse for us, that they might not even exist as part of how somebody else sees you. Right. I think that my stuff started – I remember being in third grade. This was, like, before you and I knew each other, really. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a kid – I won't name names. <laughs> Good idea, Danielle. <laughs> You never know who's listening. And bless his heart, he didn't mean to, you know. Um, But I remember him, like, making fun of my weight, even though I don't even know if I was a chubby kid. Maybe a little bit. You were a child. I was a child. And what what was was he making fun of? I think he would just call me, like, fat or something. Mm. And then um, my mom would always, like, pack me these crazy lunches and be like, an apple, a banana, a sandwich, but, like, the the bag looked so big. And so he would always make fun of, like, the size of my lunchbox, mm. which is so mean now that I think about Kids it. Kids are mean. Kids are mean. But you don't know what to do with it other than internalize it. Yeah. And and you don't know at that such a young age that what people are saying about you isn't you. Or that it'll have any kind of impact on you into the future. Well, I kind of knew because from that point on I thought it was that. Like it changed. That was the first moment. It that changed it, it my mind about implanted me. Implanted. Yeah. That idea into your brain. Yeah. It changed my mind about me, and then I just kind of set out on this mission of fixing it. And third grade is an interesting age because I think that really is an age when you start to have self awareness of like, oh, I'm, I have this body. Right. Uh, I remember I started to grow boobs. Right. And I realized that my legs were hairy and that I needed to shave my legs. Right. And wear a sports bra. Like, I remember being told it was time to wear a sports bra because I played basketball. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you were also starting to just be aware of your body in general. And then this was the outward world telling you of what they thought of your body. Yeah. And also, you know, your mom is much more like nutrition focused and hippie than my mom. You know, my mom was a is a pastry chef and I grew up on food stamps. So like nutrition was like, you know, whatever the diet trend was. Mm-hmm. So it was even in my household, even though my mom wasn't ever really dieting, she just thought that low fat was healthy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like she was trying to go on a diet herself or thought that I should. It was like, you can have anything that says low fat. So like toaster strudels and, you know, and even when we played sports together, it was like we'd go All to bagels. what a burger would mm-hmm. be like the stop as you travel from one school to like, it's crazy. Yeah. And so not, it was, it's kind of compounding effects, right? So one, I've been told I look a certain way and I've decided I need to change it. And then two, nobody's talking to me about how to take care of my body and how to nourish Mm-hmm. and eat for my microbiome, which I Except, wish I would have known at that age. Right. The only thing was low-fat. Low-fat. That was the only nutrition that I really learned about. And and kind of not true, just being in Sedona, there was – I don't know if I thought about it as nutrition, but, you know, people were drinking raw milk, and we would go to New Frontiers for salads. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, definitely more of that than I think a lot of kids in America have. Mm-hmm. Um 
But still, like, there was no healthy approach to me wanting to have that body. It was you diet or you keep your body. Right. Like, health food was not even related to weight loss at that time. Right. Right. So it wasn't something that would even come into the sphere of options. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being a kid and, you know, you feel – you start to, like, wonder what your place is. Mm -hmm. You know, like, are you popular? Are you not popular? And I remember I would just, like, pray to God that one day I'd be thin and popular. One day, one day. That was, like, my number one prayer. Isn't that sad? Like, I have a daughter now. I would die if that were her. I mean, Mm -hmm. bless her if that's her prayer. I can't really live her life for her. But there's so many things to pray for. And I just wanted a sense of belonging. And I blamed my figure for not feeling like I belonged. When in reality, I don't think. loved by others. Yeah, exactly. When in reality, I think everybody feels a little bit like an outcast. Yeah. Yeah. How did it continue to manifest for you over the years? So I guess it started with me deciding that I didn't, that I wouldn't receive the love unless I changed the way I looked. Mm. And that was mostly from the opposite sex as a heterosexual. And, you know, I grew up in a, a, a home with a single mother and my mom had me when she was older. And so she had, it almost feels like she's a generation behind where most parents most of, like, my parents' friends are. Like, she's a little older than most of my friends' parents. Mm-hmm. So she really grew up with this mentality of you wait till you're married. You, you know, your job as wife is to cook and clean and have children and take care of the house and to make sure the man is happy. And, you know, she went to secretary school. And and so I really grew up in a home where I thought my job was to make the man happy. And so I thought my physical self was a huge part of that and how I looked. Mm. So then I just spent the rest of my life really trying to do that. And I think being in Sedona, I learned healthy ways, and I'm using air quotes, healthy. Um, So, like, I hopped from diet to diet, Mm -hmm. even, you know, from sixth grade, fifth grade. Um, Doing what kind of diets? I remember there was, like, the cottage cheese and grapefruit diet. There was just the grapefruit diet. There was the cabbage soup diet. There was the cookie diet. What's the cookie diet? The cookie diet is you pick up one large cookie from Walgreens. It's actually right near the register, and it has, (laughs) like, 75% of your daily recommended vitamins and minerals, and you just eat the cookie throughout the day, and it's, like, bigger than your face. (laughs) That was one diet. That then, sounds but healthy. Then, <laughs> it's shelf-stable yeah, for I like know. five years. I know. It's the antithesis to Saqqara. Yeah, but then I would also, you know, be vegetarian or vegan or, you know, raw foodist or I would just do smoothies all day. Or then there would be days where I would just like skip a couple meals because sometimes it felt like the anxiety that I had around food. Sometimes it was easier just to not eat. Not deal with it. And not deal with it. And why – you know, you're calling vegan and vegetarian and raw foodist all of these diets. Why were they diets for you when so many people would consider that a lifestyle? Because I think no matter what label you choose, there's an unhealthy way to do it. Mm-hmm. So even if the intention might be health when you think about vegetarian or when you think about um, being vegan or raw food, like you, there are potato chips are vegan. So I could be on the potato chip and Oreo diet as a vegan and, um, not really be healthy. 
And so I never had the lens of health. I always had the lens of how can I create the body that I think I don't have and have to have in order for my whole life to change. Right. And I think sometimes you even used those labels as a way to be able to not have to eat, right? If we sat down to a meal that was filled with non-vegan things, you could say, oh, no, I'm oh, sorry, I can't, I can't have, that. have that. Totally. Or, oh, I have to order a salad. Right. And it was it was not only a way to not eat, but it was a way to to hide my my habits, my my um, unhealthy habits under the guise of health in front of my friends and family. And how did you feel during that time, like, when you would do that? I mean, what's wild is just how consuming it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine so much of your thought space must have been caught up in your acne and how to get Mm -hmm. rid of it and how it was impacting your life. For me, it was every day I would just, like, think about food and what I should eat or what I shouldn't eat. And if I ate the wrong thing, there'd be guilt if, you know— I didn't eat, then I'd be thinking, I'm hungry, and what should I eat later? And it's just, it's so exhausting to even think about how much time I spent thinking about food and how toxic mm-hmm. my relationship was to something that's really supposed to make me feel better. Like, I had no idea that food could make me feel good because it had only ever made me feel bad. And so when you were thinking about food, it was guilt for feeling like you shouldn't have eaten something or was it a fear or what what was it I was really how did you feel with the food I was really scared of the feeling of being full Hmm. that always felt like oh no I'm gonna gain weight like somewhere you shouldn't go yeah like Like, you can't eat enough like I I mean it's so clear I had an eating disorder mm -hmm. never was diagnosed, but it's, I could self-diagnose It's disordered myself. eating. It's disordered eating. Yeah. And I never felt the need to put a label on it, and I still don't. No. I don't think, I think for some things that can be really helpful, but for me, it was just, I had a toxic relationship to my body and how I, how I thought it had to look and my relationship to being loved. Yeah. Was all wrapped up in that. And I think right. so, for so many people it is. And what's so crazy is that we have to eat every single day. Yeah. You know, it's not like if you have a poor relationship to alcohol or drugs, even though that is incredibly difficult as well. You know, food we have to consume every single day. And so you have to confront your fears. You have to confront your relationship to yourself and your food. Otherwise, you don't heal. And so what can you tell us the story of like what made you actually finally confront those fears? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a home where my mom was sick a lot, so I was in the hospital a lot with her. And uh, I would see doctors continually saving her life, and I wanted to be a part of that. So at a young age, I decided I wanted to be a doctor. And so I moved to New York to study medicine, but also grew up in a home where we didn't have money, so I had to pay my way through school. And so one of the ways I did that here in New York was to model which is, like, the worst thing somebody with body image issues can do. (laughs) Especially because, like, I don't have the natural body build of, like, you know, a very, like— Six-foot-tall real thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, Mm -hmm. I naturally have curves that now I'm very proud of, but at the time I was trying to get rid of. 
And so I was just doing more extreme diets and for longer periods of time. So like the master cleanse where you're doing lemonade. And yeah, I, I remember we did that I know, together. I brought you in on it a yeah. couple times. Um, so I was doing all of these different types of things for my skin. Yeah. 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 And I, I guess I just got really not only emotionally and mentally sick of the yo-yo swings of like the high highs and the low lows of like, oh, this diet's working. You know, I think I lost a pound or whatever to like, oh, no, I can't live on cottage cheese. Now I'm in the depths of despair and back where I started from. And there's also always this mentality of like tomorrow I'm going to start this diet. So today I'm just going to have, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I was never like a a binge eater. Yeah, I was gonna but, say you're like, oh, I'm gonna have whatever it is. That's yeah. gonna be like a bite of somebody <laughs> else's bagel. Yeah, no, I was never like crazy ab- ab- about like, oh, I have to eat all those things. But I was more crazy about the opposite, which mm-hmm. and a lot of times meant I wasn't getting. Like I think my brain was just not working at full capacity for a lot of it because if you're not nourishing, mm-hmm. it really impacts your thoughts, mm-hmm. which you know is kind of Sakara thoughts to things and you have to take care of your physical self otherwise your mental emotional spiritual self can't can't soar Mm -hmm. um and so I just I was in school and dieting and modeling and dieting and modeling until finally I just got so sick from doing the craziest diet of them all that I came back to New York and you put me in the hospital yeah so I remember you went it was a 21 retreat 21 day retreat yeah in the middle of the desert. Yeah, it was with and, Dr. Gabriel Cousins. And who, well, he's he's amazing. He's amazing. He does amazing work. The program was amazing, but I went for all the wrong reasons. You know, it was 21 days, a, a week, seven full days of just water. Um, and, you know, it's the desert in Arizona. It was really hot. You were meditating six hours a day. And then the following two weeks were all raw food. He was a raw foodist, mm-hmm. one of, like, the OG raw food gurus. And most of the people there were going through cancer, diabetes. I was the only one that was there because I had body image issues and didn't want to eat for three weeks. So that was a big wake-up call, too. Just like, wow, I'm in a place where people come. It almost felt almost felt really guilty. Like, I'm taking the spot of somebody could have been here that really needed to heal something. But I really needed you to really heal need, something. That's what I was going to yeah. say. You you really needed it yeah, because and those people might have been, like, you know, at the verge of losing their life, but so were you. Yeah, for sure. And it, I would say finding that that low low did save my life. I got so sick from going there. Um, Your body just revolted. Yeah, it just started shutting down, and I had a really low heart rate. I couldn't keep any food down. I got pneumonia. Um, it was like my body was like, okay, if you're not going to take care of me, then let's just get out of here. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I came, I did the 21 days because I don't give up on diets. I'm a good dieter. If you give me the rules, I'll follow them. But yeah, that was my wake up call when you took me to the hospital and they were like, yeah, you have IBS, you have pneumonia, (laughs) you have to go on antibiotics, you have to you know, do all these things. And and the crazy thing was coming out of that, nobody nobody knew what IBS was. Nobody yeah. knew any of these issues I was having and, like, mm-hmm. why I would bloat after every meal. And, you know, I hadn't been taking care of my body and my microbiome mm-hmm. my entire life. It was never a consideration. No. And so all of these 
symptoms were presenting themselves all at once. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that I had to go study nutrition to heal myself because mm-hmm. my doctors didn't know anything about it. Yeah, I remember one day we were having a conversation where you're just like, I haven't been nourishing my body. Yeah. Yeah. Food had been the enemy for so long that I was always worried about eating too much and never worried about eating enough of the right things. And that was my biggest, I'd say, aha moment once we started eating this way Mm -hmm. and really came up with what is now our nutrition program is, wow, not only do can food make you feel really good food allows you to feel like your best and i had been completely ignoring that and thinking it was the opposite because in mm. my experience i would bloat after every meal i had so much guilt and anxiety around it so it really was toxic for me and i had to i had to really heal that yeah. and you know i'm grateful i'm grateful that we started our journey together in seventh grade and then Mm -hmm. hit our low lows together in New York too. And that even when I was in my lowest of low, you were there too. And we were both so desperate for an answer that we, we would have done anything to heal ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, I did some crazy things. You did some crazy things. We should talk about this. (laughs) Where to start? (laughs) I remember you going down to like Tucson to do. I was living in Tucson at the time. Oh, you were living there. Okay. I'd say, you know, when like freshman year of high school or so, going to a dermatologist and the first thing they put you on is antibiotics. Mm -hmm. You know, a three-month cycle of tetracycline. Then when that doesn't work, then they switch up the antibiotic because maybe it doesn't respond to that type of antibiotic. They put you on minocycline. It's so representative of that kind of medicine where it's like, Let's treat the symptom. It's Mm -hmm. like the symptom was like a certain type of bacteria on your face. Well, they thought that the bacteria was the the cause. cause. Yeah, totally. So just kill the bacteria, right? Yeah. So uh, rounds and rounds of antibiotics and then being put on birth control pills, trying topicals of all different kinds, all of the Retin-A and different gels. And I mean... You name it, I tried it. I did all of the proactives and everything you saw on TV. I, Dr. Murad, I love him, but his skincare didn't work for me. Right. And you did all the diet stuff too. Well, that was, that was later um, that I got to all of the diet stuff. But I feel like I remember in high school you doing things like, you know, the, the stereotypical stuff of like no pizza, no chocolate. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No nuts. Yeah. And all of that didn't work. And so I really wanted to do Accutane. And so I think I did that around 16, 17 years old. Yeah, that sounds right. And, you know, you just trust these big pharmaceutical companies that feel safe because it's prescribed by a medical doctor and it's approved by the FDA. So it must be safe, right? Right. And... Uh, they give you, you know, a stack of papers that talks about potential side effects and warnings and whatnot. But you think, none of that's ever going to happen to me. Uh, So they, when they gave me the Accutane, they put me on Prozac because suicide could be a potential side effect. And 
there is some, you know, depression in my family. So better not take risks, just put you on the Prozac. And then I was already on the birth control for the acne. So they kept me on that. And you have to promise to be on two forms of birth control and sign a contract saying that if you're to get pregnant, that you'd have an abortion because the baby would come out with birth defects. So scary. And and what exactly were they, like, what was the promise behind Accutane? Uh, So Accutane, once again, promises to get down to the root cause of acne by shrinking your oil glands from the inside. It's a high dose of vitamin A that goes in and shrinks your oil glands because your skin is overproducing oil, right? And that is what causes the acne. Right. So they say. Um, And so by shrinking your oil glands, then it's supposed to cure your acne. And in doing so, it makes you really, really dry. Your lips get dry and cracking. Your skin gets dry. Like your whole body gets dry everywhere. Um, And your eyes, your vagina, everything. How long did you have to do it? I think it was about six months. And yeah. you have and to have I, your blood drawn? Right. So you have your blood tested. I'm trying to remember now if it's, it's every like, other week or so. Yeah. They want to test your lipids and make sure that it's not destroying your liver. This can be really hard on your liver. But they also, they weren't testing, what is it, what is it doing to the microbiome? Mm. You know, what effects does something like that have on your gut? I mean, if every bite you take affects your gut, then certainly mm-hmm. a pharmaceutical drug that's well, multiple pharmaceutical drugs, right? right? Right. And I mean, we know birth control and we know antidepressants impact the gut. Yeah. And so at the end of that, I still had the acne. acne. It still came back. And um, were you devastated? Did you feel like Accutane was going to be the answer? Because I feel like it's promised as the answer. Yeah. I, I, do think I thought it was going to be the answer. Did it go down at all over those six months? I think maybe it did. I'm trying to remember, but... Not enough for you to be like, wow, this is worth it. Yeah. I think it went down, but then it came back. And people would say, oh, you just need to do it again. But to me, I, I didn't believe in it. I didn't think it was, you know, I tried it. And it didn't work. But... I was going to school in Tucson at the time, going to the university there, and there was a doctor who was using this new treatment. Uh, He would use it for skin cancer patients, and he said it's like Accutane in a way where it'll shrink the oil glands, but from the outside. Ouch. And that, that was called photodynamic therapy. I do not recommend it or Accutane to anybody. Do not do these things that I'm talking about. Um, So with that one, he, you start by putting this levulonic acid on your skin, which is a natural acid that your body creates, but this, you know, you, you put it on and it makes you photosensitive to light. And then you wait for about an hour and then you sit in front of this big light and it just fries your face. It just burns all of the skin like a third degree burn um and then you have to stay out of the sun for about 12 days in arizona (laughs) 
Yeah, and then your entire face peels off. And then you're supposed to have a fresh new face. And did it work? No. Yeah. And how did you feel like your life would change if you didn't have acne? Mm. Probably the same way that you felt if you had a different body. Yeah, how was that? I think maybe it would be that I would like myself more or be liked more by people or that I would be able to stand in my power, do those things that I had been holding, like covering that light, that I'd be able to be that person. And did the acne make you feel unlovable? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like now, because now whenever we talk about your story, everyone's like, what acne? Did you ever feel like you'd get here where people are like, what acne? And how many years was it total that you were dealing? So it started at like 11 and then it wasn't until Saqqara that it went away. Yeah. So probably until 25. I'm so happy we're having this conversation because I forget. I forget how hard it must have been for you. Yeah. Like we... And it was a long time. It was a long time. 11 until we were 25? 24, 25. 24, 25. It's a long time. Yeah. Of dealing with something that you feel like is holding you back and is out of your control. Yeah. And, you know, I look back from the place that we are now and... I was so focused on the skin part of it, but so many other things were going on inside my body that were, you know, knowing what we know now about microbiome health and how it affects your entire body as a system. Um, It was all related to my gut health, but, you know, I was having different hormonal imbalances. I would get um, yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis, you know, my, the, my vaginal microbiome, my pharmacology was out of balance. My, I had anxiety, which we know is also related to microbiome, like all of this. Yeah. And you'd been on antibiotics for a decade. Yeah. I, in college, like I've said, they, they would give me a Z pack you know, what they give to people who have pneumonia or huge major like life-threatening problems. Yeah, would just if I just like had here. a, if I had a cyst pop up, they would give me a pack for it. Yeah, now we know that every, every time we take an antibiotic, we're killing bad, but also good bacteria and potentially types of bacteria that we can never get back. You know, there are types of bacteria. Thanks, Danielle, rub it in. <laughs> well, I mean, I've taken them <laughs> too. Um but it just it's it's a cautionary kind of tale in so much that yeah. people think antibiotics can be taken like candy. And yeah. now people are talking about superbugs that, you mm-hmm. know, and so we know about antibiotic resistance, but that's not really the reason. That's a good reason, but the the most important reason is that actually our first line of immune our immune system, so how we don't get the flu, how we don't get a cold, how we don't get acne is our gut and our gut lining mm-hmm. and our microbiome. Well, these doctors, every time I would have a breakout or have an infection um, or whatever else, they would put me on more antibiotics. And that just keeps you in that vicious cycle. It makes it worse. It makes it worse. Yeah, it for might, the long term. It might suppress the symptoms yeah. for a period of time, but it makes it worse and it makes it continue to come back. It makes it a chronic issue. 
And I see so many people who have chronic sinus infections or they're have tonsillitis or different things or like UTIs. that. Yeah. And it keeps coming back. And instead of building up the immune system, they suppress the immune system with these antibiotics. Yeah. And then it's a chronic condition. It turns into chronic condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I was doing to my body. So I had to get out of that. And I think for me, you know, my big moment was after coming to New York, thinking somebody here is finally going to have the answer for me. There's all these fancy dermatologists that I read about in all the glossy magazines. They must know the answer. They must know the cure. And then I went to them one by one, and they each just wanted to hand me another prescription for an antibiotic or another prescription for Accutane. And I had done those things, and I knew they weren't the answer, and so I'd get so frustrated. And what age were you here? Uh, Young 20s? 22, yeah. And can you describe, like, what your acne looked like? Like, are we talking about, I mean, I know the answer to this, yeah. but, like, are we talking about a little zit on your chin? Are we talking no, about some this forehead was, stuff? No, this was big, red, painful cysts, mainly on my cheeks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cysts. Like, covering your cheeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, makeup can only do so much can cover some of the redness. Yeah, I remember us, like, spending so much time in Sephora. Yeah. Trying to find the right makeup. Totally. That would help you. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so these dermatologists kept just giving you the same thing, the ones in whether they're in Arizona or Mm -hmm. in the glossy magazines in New York. Yeah. They only had whatever the pharmaceutical companies was supplying to them. Right. They didn't have any other solutions. And nobody was talking about... Nobody was talking about the gut connection. Or any connection or to any food. Or any connection to food, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember a, a certain dermatologist who will also remain nameless <laughs> telling me, food has absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. You know? Bless him. Bless him. And I think he's he, changed his mind. He since. has. He's yeah. come around, which is amazing and needed. Um, but I just, I knew deep down that food was a part of it. I just didn't know what food. Right. And so that's where I started jumping on everything with you, becoming vegan, becoming, uh, doing master cleanse. We right. did candida cleansing. I we was took like, okay, all of this of is candida. Yeah. Need to, we would chop up cloves of garlic at night and eat it raw. Yeah. And Smell follow, like garlic follow it, <laughs> follow it down with, um, coconut, spoonfuls of coconut oil. Yeah. We thought um, we were so healthy. Yeah. We did. And really, for me, it was just another diet. I was just desperate to find the cure, find the, the solution. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, I eliminated everything out of my diet. <clears throat> and I remember people would tell you, too. Like, that's the other thing is, like, I remember telling you once that I wish, like, that I was dealing with the acne instead of my body. I remember you saying that. Yeah. And you were like, but Danielle... Like, however hard this is for you, it's equally as hard for me. But my version is just acne. Yours is body image. And I was like, no, 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 Whitney. <laughs> body 
which is so much worse. You don't understand. And you're like, okay, love you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was with my acupuncturist who's like with her knee on top of me, squeezing oh, my that. pimples because she thought she had to get the sack out. Yeah, I know. The, she get was... down to the root of the acne and pull that out or else oh, it would come back. I remember that looked so painful. Yeah. You had such a high degree of pain tolerance. Yeah. Like you would, all those things that you did, you only mentioned one laser, but I remember you doing them in New York too. Yeah. I did CO2 lasers. I did you Fraxel. Did, yeah. Like I did things to try and help fill the scars. Like mm-hmm. that's all really painful too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've tried it all. It's so crazy. And it's just, it's just back to, I think the broader point, which is not, it's not like either of us are looking for a, like, oh, you poor girls. Like, Mm-mm. that's not what this is about. This is about how it's so in our heads, how awful it is, mm-hmm. you know, and that um, that the story is so within, Yeah, which is, pro- which is why it's so important to, like, nourish the self because that's the self that's deciding mm-hmm. how awful it is to begin with. Yeah. And how can we pull ourselves out of that thought? Yeah, it's almost like you're in this vicious cycle and you have to have, you know, like this aha moment of getting out of your toxic thought bubbles Mm -hmm. and have an elevated conscious thought for a moment so you can just remember that there's like another side. Right. And I think that goes back to what you were talking about with where food can really help with that. Right. Because if your brain is not getting the nutrients it needs – it may not be able to get there with having that thought. Well, if you think about food as information, mm. if you're only if you're getting bad information in, you're going to get bad information out. So if you're eating bad information, you're going to think bad information. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. Yeah. I mean, it it probably sounds like a far off thought to you know, probably not our listeners, mm-hmm. but to a lot of people. Um, but food controls everything from, you know, your hormones, um, so therefore how well you sleep, your sex drive, your happiness. Like food is an input to all, every single hormone in the body. And so, you know, if anyone's ever had PMS or been pregnant or breastfeeding or had depression or, you know, any hormone condition, you know how much they can be in the driver's seat. Yeah, when how they, powerful those when hormones they go really wrong. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And food is part of that information. Yeah. And we also know, I always like to give this example too when we're talking about food as information is if you have a headache, you take Tylenol. I mean, we. I hope a lot of people don't now, but yeah. <laughs> um, I'll call it acetaminophen. Of course, maybe sometimes on occasion you need it, but I bring it up because if you take it, you think it will help with your headache, but Mm -hmm. it's going through the same digestive tract that food does. Mm -hmm. So you know that a pill that you put through your digestive tract has an impact on how you feel. So it's not a far-off thought to think that everything you put in your digestive tract will impact how you feel. Yeah. Every single thing from, from food to fluid. Yeah. And I feel like it was... I feel like that was one of my aha moments because I will say one thing about doing a water fast is and eating really clean. Like I was forced to eat really clean. I wasn't just pretending mm-hmm. for 21 weeks was I got days. really sick. Twenty, Yeah, 20, not 26 weeks. That would have been real rough, yeah. a water fast for 26 weeks. Um, 21 days. 
Yeah, I did 20, seven days of I did water. 21 days, seven days of water. But I, I will say I was eating so clean over those 21 days that that was one of the ways I feel like I saw the light. That even though I was so sick, it was also like I wasn't getting bad information. Mm. I was I was getting the right information, but just not enough and not in the right way. And I was I feel like I was really detoxifying my toxic thoughts mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I do think that that's something that I get when I do our level two detox program. Yeah. I just talked to a woman about that this morning. She said, I'm so happy you're, you are mentioning that there's an emotional component to the detox because I thought I was crazy. I was crying two out of the five nights. <laughs> I was like, I mean, no, it's, it's definitely emotional. It's supposed to be. It's all connected. Yeah. And for me, it strips away a lot of the noise. All of those inputs that we put into our bodies every day can cloud your own thoughts yeah. sometimes. And I like to just get back to just being me, only me, and being able to hear that inner voice again. It's like a physical meditation. Mm-hmm. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So yes, we're, we you and I are both at rock bottom. Yeah. I'm Trying re- I'm everything. Really, I'm really sick. Which, by the way, can we just have a pause and talk about how I convinced you to come to New York? Because I feel like people might <laughs> find that interesting. Sure. So I moved to New York for college. So I had been here since 20-whatever. I don't need to tell everyone my age, and I honestly don't even remember. 20, 2000, I moved here in 2006 for school. Yeah. And so you came in 2008 yeah. when you graduated. Yes. Um, and you were thinking between, and I lived. New York and L.A. I lived, my first part was this tiny basement apartment in Queens yep. with a f- many families of cockroaches. It was, I would do anything to live here. I, like, I barely made any money modeling. I worked cocktail waitress You've jobs. You've always worked five jobs at yeah, the same time. Yeah, I just did always. a million things, but I made it work, and this is where I knew I wanted to live. And then I could finally afford to live with a new family of cockroaches, but in Soho, in this, like, little tiny, tiny, tiny apartment with a girlfriend of mine. It was literally, like, two bedrooms. two-bedroom wing. Connected by a hallway, and in that hallway was what they call a kitchen. A kitchenette. <laughs> Um, but it was Soho, oh my God. Like, yeah. Um, I also didn't know it was run by the slumlord, but, you know, wow. we'll save that story for yeah. another podcast. Um, <laughs> but going so to I court was, with the slumlord, that's yeah, a fun story. And I got taken to court. That was fun. So I'm living there with my girlfriend, and you call me, and you're like, I'm graduating. I'm thinking about moving to L.A. or New York. Yeah. And I was like, you have to move here. Yeah. You said, like, Come, move here. We'll figure it out. You can sleep in my bed. You can wear all my clothes. Like, don't bring anything. And then you're like, no, really, don't bring anything because there's no no room. room. (laughs) No room. You gave me, like, a a tiny pantry in the kitchen, kitchenette. Right. Oh, yeah, you had the pantry as your closet. Yeah. And um, we did. We shared a bed. Yeah. And we didn't have air conditioning. Yeah. And that that summer summer was hot. Yeah. Hot. Yeah. I remember just like lying in our underwear, being like, can't move. With a fan on us. Can't I couldn't move. afford air conditioning. Yeah. It was too expensive. And you got a you got a uh, job at Merrill Lynch. Mm-hmm. That was your first job. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I wanted to be like Susie Orman. And um, my mom and I used to watch her. And she's a financial advisor and be able to advise people on how to manage their money and what they can buy and what they can't. And I thought, no, that's a woman in charge. You know, she's 
she doesn't need a man to tell her what to do, uh-huh. how, to, how to use her money. <laughs> like, I'm going to be like her, you know, sit in the power seat. Yeah. And then just fell into the crazy lifestyle that is New York City. And, you know, Merrill is interesting. It has a very strong drinking culture where going out after work is part of the culture. You need to entertain clients. You need to, you know, network with new people. You need to do team building activities with your team. And so we'd go down to PJ Clark's and start <laughs> putting down the putting down the beers. Yeah, I remember because you try and convince me to tag along. Yeah. And we went through a phase when we we're eliminating everything out of our diets where I was drinking no alcohol and they kept trying to convince me to have a glass of wine, have a glass of wine, have a glass of wine. And so I'd order one and it would just sit in front of me and I'd have some soda water or something. And I counted, you know, they would put down nine beers on like a Tuesday. That's crazy. That was normal. And then that's like after work, but during work, what was food like? Was food, was it like a bagel platter and you'd order sushi Um, for lunch? Well, I was young and broke. So if people were, if they were offering free food, I was eating it. You know, if it was a lunch and learn, I was signing up for that lunch and learn. (laughs) (laughs) I was, (laughs) Andrea, our producer is laughing in the corner. Uh, Free Pizza Friday. Yeah, Free Pizza Friday. I remember but people would bring in um, Katz's Deli, which I cannot even look at something like that now. But just like gigantic meaty sandwiches. And, um, you know, food was part of the way to keep people happy in the office when you're working long hours. And at your desk. You didn't have to leave your desk. Right. Right. And, And so I would eat that. And do you feel like it, the stress of the job and the alcohol and the food impacted your skin? Absolutely. And then it's New York City, so we were also going out. We are having fun. And then at the end of the night, you have to eat that slice of New York City pizza, <laughs> yeah. get a slice. And We had that 24-hour diner in excess in Soho, I remember. Yeah, which was a lot better than the pizza. Yeah, that's true. But Except we'd order, like, French fries. Remember they had that burrito omelets. that, like, had French fries in it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, healthy. Oh, good yeah. times. We had to go to the other side. Yeah. To be to. on this side. Yeah. Um, you have to really, I think, understand. I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully our clients don't have to go to the depths that we went to to understand the importance of food as medicine. But it was a really important part of We went there of, for them. Yeah. It was a really important part of our journey. Yeah. To just know how crappy one can feel. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I did feel like crap. I felt I was tired. I was emotional. Had anxiety. I was embarrassed by my skin. I wanted to hide it. I wanted to hide in general. I think it affected my confidence at work. It it affected my confidence in my dating life and in relationships. It definitely, you know, I didn't want my picture taken or anything like that. Yeah. And even still, you know, I still have scars from it all. and Emotional and physical. Yeah, and I know sometimes we'll have a picture of the two of us and we want to put it out somewhere. And maybe I won't like it because I see my scars in that picture. Mm. Even if you don't see it, I'm... Yep. I see it. Yep. And... 
Um, so I think it's, you know, for me, it's still there in a way. How much would you say it's still there for you? Like, does it, how much does it still impact your life? It's a good question. It's definitely Cause not Because you just, on... so everybody knows you have zero breakouts. Yeah. Like no, right now I have, I have more done. zits than you do. <laughs> well, maybe I have more body image stuff going on now <laughs> than you do. Um, but I think, you know, there were turning points for me where I realized food really is the answer that keeping my gut healthy by eating our Saqqara life, by following the, our nutrition philosophy, you know, it's not about being vegan because I tried that. It's not about being vegetarian or, you know, any of those different things, eliminating things out of your diet. It really is about getting the right things most of the time in, into your body. And doing that really helped clear up my skin. I think it was that. And it was also this mental, emotional part of deciding that spending my time worrying about my skin was being selfish. It was not worth my time. And because I would spend time looking in the mirror. And picking. And, and yeah, picking even, you know, and I'd go to the dermatologist and be like, they'd say, oh, you, you can't, you shouldn't be picking at your skin. I'm like, I'm not picking, you know. I mean, <laughs> right. no, I don't pick. Gross, no. Uh-huh. But. You were. Yeah, even if it was just like little small, like yeah. a blackhead here or whatever it was. But all of those count. Yeah. And it's putting energy it's trying into to fix. it. It's trying to fix. It's putting energy into it. And, you know, I thought, okay, if I can just channel this energy into something more positive, how can I put this energy into doing something good for somebody else? Um, like volunteer my time or call my mom or call my grandma or whatever it was. Or tell myself I look great. Well, I tried enough. that. I tried that, but you can say that. Yeah. But one of my new mantras that I've been like in my head lately has been you can't hide from God. Uh-huh. So you can say you look great, but if really on the other side of that thought you're thinking, no, you don't. Like even if yeah. it's not a thought, even if it's just a hmm. – I don't know. Like I might... I'm saying this because I need to say it because I would try to manifest and I'd be like, I have perfectly clear skin. Well, I think I, – I don't think you can just like think your way to better skin, but I think it can certainly be a part of the healing process. Like if what, what I'm speaking to is you transform the energy of pick, pick, pick to – I look great, and I'm not going to look in the mirror and, and pick, pick, pick. Like, uh, it's, yeah. like, shifting. No, mine was, okay, I'm just going to stand away from the mirror. <laughs> yeah. I remember we had one of those, like, zoom-in mirrors. Oh, those are maybe. the worst. That was when we got rid of it. Those are the worst. But, yeah. like, needing to back up, just be away from the mirror, not spend my time there, not look at it. And, and I think there, not give it the, the, the energy. I think that was, like, a time where both of us – really started to understand the impact of our thoughts. Mm. So as we're on this healing journey, you know, I graduate from pre-med, working in a hospital, I'm studying nutrition, we're starting to understand the science behind the choices we need to make mm -hmm. for our food. Also, as we started to eat better, we started to understand the impact of our thoughts and kind of like play around with that a little. So yeah, what what does it mean when you're 
consumed by negative talk. Mm-hmm. And how does that radiate out? How does what is the ripple effect of that? And yeah, maybe you can't just band-aid it with a positive thought about yourself. Mm-hmm. Maybe that can be part of it, but also just think about something else. You right. know, even if it's transfer the energy. Transfer the energy to something else. Give to someone else. Do mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. How can you go from vibrating at that negative frequency into a frequency of love, caring, gratitude, any of the more positive frequencies. So we're finally deciding something major has to change. We both hit rock bottom together. Mm -hmm. We're living in Soho, the family of mice. (laughs) You have like debilitating. Yeah, no cockroaches that time. The whole family of mice. Family of mice. You have like what you would call debilitating acne. Like it impacts your life. Mm -hmm. I have debilitating body image issues Um, where I'm putting myself in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I think the turnaround point was after I came out of the hospital and we both were so, we both had to kind of come to terms with how extreme, how extreme everything had gotten. Yeah. You know, that I was willing to go to such lengths to change my body, that you were willing to like fry your face off again. And like what was the root cause of both of our issues? And by the way, I was also seeing it not just for us. I was seeing it in patients. So I was working in a hospital, seeing patients come in with lifestyle diseases. And the only thing we could offer was pharmaceutical drugs or surgical intervention in some cases. Nobody was really talking about how to change their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. One, because most doctors don't ever have to study nutrition, so they could send them to a nutritionist. But then also, too, a lot of people don't want to change their lifestyle. They don't believe that that is a part of the dis-ease that Mm -hmm. they're experiencing. And so that was when I was like, you know, I I don't – I want to study nutrition. I want that to be my form of medicine. Yeah, you wanted to help people on the wellness side. Right. Like before it was too late. And I also wanted to help myself. I was so desperate to find the answer that I thought – I need to I need to fix this for myself. Nobody else can fix it for me. And studying nutrition really helped me understand from a scientific perspective what food does, mm. how food is information, how food can make you feel better, look better, give you the body you want, you know, the science behind the fact that, like, abs are made in the kitchen. Like, what, what does all that mean? Because I had been always thinking, oh, well, I can kind of eat whatever I want. I'll just eat a little bit, and I'll work out a lot, and yeah. that'll be fine. And you it's know, interesting it's, that you, doesn't work. in order to really get over your fears and deal with these issues, you had to get even closer to them. You had to, yeah. like, you get, get in bed with knees. food. Yeah. I mean, you have to get brought to your knees. I wish I could learn lessons without that. But, you know, I got brought to my knees for that. Mm-hmm. I got brought to my knees for birth, like mm-hmm. giving birth to a child. I mean, you know. I always think that the universe gives you signals mm-hmm. and they start really soft. You know, they start like, hey, what's up? Maybe you should change things. And then, you know, it's a little bit bigger of a rock thrown at you and then a bigger rock and then a boulder and that really hurts. And then you hit the <laughs> brick wall, which we both hit together. Yeah. Um, but I'm so grateful for that because there was no turning back then. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, I knew I was on a quest to understand what I had to eat to have the body I wanted and to feel really good and to never feel like I was on a diet ever again. And there was no turning back. I was never going to go on a diet ever again. I was done. It was like you hit your point and you can't go past it. Yeah, I feel like these were some of the kind of guardrails we put up 
in looking for what is the ultimate solution to health and nutrition. Yeah. And how can, you know, how could I heal my body with this? Right. And I wanted all of those same things you were looking for too, yeah. ultimately. For sure. Aren't Everybody <laughs> wants to, yeah, look and feel good and make it delicious and fun and easy. Yeah. And we were like, we didn't even know if it was possible Yeah. when we went out to do this. We knew that positive nutrition would have a positive impact. It wasn't going to be net negative, but it could have been net neutral. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but so we were willing to try. We were willing to try. We tried everything over, like, those couple years I was studying nutrition. We tried Yeah, everything. I think we thought for a while there we were eating really healthy. Yeah. We were Avocado eating, toast in every way. Oh, yeah, 100 forms of avocado toast. We were eating organic high-fiber cereals with almond milk. We were eating... Trail this, mix. Yeah, raw trail mixes and organic popcorn and, you know, these gluten-free organic crackers. Fiber crackers. Yeah. And all of those things may have in themselves said that they were healthy. They were, you know, organic and uh-huh. free of junk and whatever. But it, our diet was not healthy. Right. All of those things were really dehydrating to our bodies, too. They didn't contain life force in them. They were not alive. Well, it was hard. We were living in New York. We both, I was in school full-time. You were working full-time. Who has time to... Keep a fridge filled with... Vegetables that are going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And also go to the grocery store and it's a a lot of work to look out for your nutrition. I remember we'd go to the grocery store and then by the time we'd get home from walking there sorting through, finding people in the aisles, standing in line to check out, and then carrying all those groceries up our flights of stairs. Six floor walk up, yeah. <laughs> and then we were too tired to even cook. So then it's like, you know, just open the box of crackers. And some hummus and we're yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, as as I started to learn more about the the science of the microbiome, the science behind those trillions of bacteria that are dictating everything about your health. It was like we, I remember us having this conversation where we realized like nobody knows, nobody's eating for the health of their microbiome. Like we're uncovering Mm -hmm. the importance of it, um, but we're still taking antibiotics and not talking about what those microbes really need in order to thrive and survive. And so we started to take not only what, I was learning in school and kind of the the nutrition science of food, but also, and very importantly, what people have been doing for thousands of years. You know, Mm -hmm. I always caution people to be really careful when somebody says, yeah, this is a study shows, a study can show anything. So if you want to know if something's healthy and you look it up, a study can show it. What you have to look at is over time, over many scientific studies, what impacts your health? Because when we look at something under a microscope, through the lens of nutrition and through the lens of science, we're isolating in such a way that we actually know very little about the whole food component. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're studying beta carotene out of a carrot, you have to isolate it from the carrot in order to understand it. And so, therefore, it's not the carrot. It's no longer the carrot. Yeah, so then we don't really know what the carrot is actually doing. We know that you absorb more when you eat the carrot, then... Absorb more beta-carotene yeah, from then, the carrot than... Then a supplement. Mm-hmm. 
and that in general, getting your vitamins and minerals from whole food sources is the best way, but we still don't exactly understand why. I mean, nutrition mm-hmm. science is such a new field. So it was really important, I think, for both of us that, yeah, we pulled in the science because there is a lot that we know, but there's a lot that we don't know. So what have, been pe- what have people been doing for thousands of years? They've been eating right. turmeric and they've been, you know, following macrobiotic and Ayurvedic and eating with the seasons and getting enough vegetables. and Yeah, even Taoism. I remember when we were learning about all these different food philosophies, even Taoism has its own food philosophy based around the different tastes, Mm -hmm. sweet and salty and bitter and umami and sour, and how uh, a balanced diet includes all of those. Yeah, is is balanced, has a balanced plate with all of the different tastes. And now science can talk to us and tell us that, oh, bitter activates your liver and helps with digestion and is an important taste to include on your plate. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, we were looking at all of these different food philosophies out in the world and we started to pull which ones made the most sense and which ones did multiple sources all Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is like they all made so much sense, but they all basically said the same thing. Nutrition science was just supporting what people have been doing for thousands of years. And so it was boiling it down into kind of understanding exactly how to eat. Right. And, uh, and what that looked like. And we'll go deeper into that in future podcasts. where I, Like what our pillars of nutrition are. Right. Because there's nine of them. So we could talk. <laughs> We'd be here another I don't know where, hours. how many, how long we've been on this podcast <laughs> thus far, but we don't have time for that today. Yeah, but the, the how and why is really important of the nutrition and, and understanding that, you know, we, I spent years studying nutrition and together we spent years building what is now the Sakara Nutrition Program mm-hmm. based on everything from keeping the microbiome healthy to the science behind macrobiotics and Ayurveda and really pulling it into what we now call our nine pillars of nutrition and how you eat for every single meal to have a healthy life and and the and the kind of pinnacle being body intelligence so that it's not how you have to eat for every single meal it's how you should and then when you don't we call that the joy factor and you listen to your body and you say hey body you're intelligent let's have are you feeling like a glass of wine and some calamari let's do that because I feel really good you feel really good and there's no guilt because tomorrow I I go back to eating this way and by the way the more you eat this way the better from a nutrition standpoint and a physiological standpoint, the better your body can withstand the calamari and glass of wine. So the nine pillars of nutrition are based on both nutrition science and more Eastern modalities and how people have been eating for thousands of years and understanding that there's so much overlap between the two. And then the pinnacle being body intelligence. You know, there are nine pillars of nutrition. One of them is body intelligence, which I think most companies wouldn't call, most nutrition companies wouldn't call that nutrition, but to us, that's kind of the pinnacle where you don't have to listen to an expert. You are the expert of your own body, but you have to get the right information into your body in order to listen to it. And usually we're taught, don't listen to your cravings, and we're saying the opposite. If you build a, the, the, the hope and, and the kind of point of all this is to build a body that you get to listen to. So you get to be your own expert. Mm-hmm. And for me, I spent my whole life thinking that cravings were awful and if I had the glass of wine or the piece of chocolate cake that life was over and I was now off the wagon and I had to start all over again. 
And the best part about living the Sakara life is that now if I have those things, they actually bring me joy because I know that there's no wagon to fall off of. And I know I now have the tools and I understand how to build a body I feel great in. So if I ever don't eat that way for a meal or a day Mm -hmm. or a trip, there's no anxiety. There's no guilt. It's not scary anymore because I just know how to get back to feeling like my best Mm -hmm. self. And that's what I was missing for most of my life. I didn't understand how to build a body I felt really good in. Yeah. And I can feel the difference when I'm traveling and I'm or I'm working too hard and I'm not taking care of my body, not getting enough sleep, not eating enough Sakara, then maybe I start to get a little bit of a breakout or I get a little I can tell from some like vaginal discharge. This is sorry if that's TMI, but that's the way this podcast is gonna be. Yeah. We're gonna talk about intimate things. But that is kind of my check engine light for me, where it's like, hey, you're working yourself too hard or you're you're triggered. And so you need to swing in the opposite direction and really take care of yourself right now. Yeah. And so now I know how to listen to my body, how to read the signs that it's sending me and really tuning into that body intelligence to let me know when I need to take care of myself more. Yeah, so we eat this way, breakfast, lunch, dinner, most of the days of the week. But weekends, you know, we... Or certain nights we have work dinners out or... And we do whatever we want and we don't feel guilty and we order whatever sounds good and we drink whatever feels good. And the beautiful thing about that is that it brings joy and you know when you need to stop because if all of a sudden your wine is not bringing you joy and it's something you feel like you need to do because you have two kids and you're tired and you're whatever, I've been there, it's no longer bringing you joy and so you know that it's no longer a nutrient. If it's bringing you joy, it's a nutrient. If it's um, covering something up, it's not a nutrient. It's time to get back to basics and really follow the Sakara protocol and get back to feeling good so that those things can bring you joy again. Mm-hmm. So we've been eating this way, the Sakara life, for almost a decade. Um, how do you feel in your body now? Mm. I feel like I'm in the driver's seat, which is such a blessing because I always felt like I was such a victim mm. to food because no matter what I ate, I didn't feel good. And now when I eat, I feel great. Um, I feel sexier, which I think is just another form of shining my light and letting my light shine. I'm no longer hiding behind, don't look at me, I'm I'm not my best yet, you know? Now Mm -hmm. it feels like I'm not shy about how I look, even though I still have moments of wanting to perfect things, of course. I don't think, okay, let me just crash diet and then everything will be better. Mm -hmm. I feel empowered and grateful. My body made a child, birthed a child, and is now feeding a child. And I have such reverence and respect for my body and its capabilities. Um, And I attribute that to nourishing myself for the past decade, for sure. And I guess I just feel a lot more free. I mean, my thoughts are no longer consumed 
even though I own a food company, I talk about food all day, I, I talk about nutrition all day, it's my thoughts are no longer consumed by that anxiety. And we, you and I joke, I know all the time, like if we could just have that time back, all that, yeah. that, that decade and a half I spent freaking out about food and thinking about all the time, I could speak seven languages and I'd have 40 companies. Mm-hmm. And so it feels really good to know that my thoughts are now directed most of the time. I mean, I still have, you know, stress and anxiety about some things, but you know, all the bulk of my thoughts are now things I want to think about, not things that are controlling me. Yeah. What about you? How would you say after 10 years of eating Saqqara, how is your skin, how's your relationship to your body and your health? I'd say it's, you know, it's a constant journey. I think having the information and knowing what to do doesn't always make it easy to do. Yeah. I think I am still learning about I'd say more the mental piece than the physical piece too of um that like feeling worthy of this nourishment Mm -hmm. and worthy of the light worthy enough to shine yeah and being able to like stand in that stand in that power of just being myself but I feel yeah similar to you where at least now I know the tools that I have in order to feel good. And I know some of those triggers in my life that make me not feel good. So then it's just continually making those small changes and those steps in the right direction to feel more good than not good. Yeah, and later in this podcast, we'll talk about pleasure and what it means to live a life of pleasure and leaning into pleasure And I like that idea of, and one of the reasons that we work so hard to make Saqqara delicious is that so eating this way is pleasurable Mm -hmm. and doesn't feel like you're on a diet. So what you're saying is like it's the little choices you make every single day and we're deciding whether they fill us up or they deplete us. Mm -hmm. And are you making the little decisions every day that fill you up more often than you're making the decisions that deplete you? And are you even thinking about it? Are you even asking yourself? Right. Are you being conscious of your own actions and your own thoughts? Yeah. And from what you eat, what you had for breakfast, what you have for lunch, to what you're doing with your extra 20 minutes. Who you're surrounding yourself with. Who you're surrounding yourself with what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to. Mm-hmm. All of those are inputs. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just food that's information. It's everything around us is informing us. Mm-hmm. And so we, we felt such a transformation from eating this way. You know, I think we both would say it saved our lives. Mm-hmm. And we made it our mission to be able to share eating this way with as many people as possible and it started with one person and then it turned to four people and you know now it's many 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 thousands all over the country and we named it Sakara for a very special reason so what does Sakara mean what well we knew we wanted a name that had meaning to it and this name kind of found us and when we saw it we kind of knew that it was it so Sakara is a Sanskrit word it means with form Or giving form to things that don't have form yet, like your thoughts and dreams and ideas, your hopes and your goals. How do you take those and turn them from a thought into a reality? 
And that is Sakara, that concept of thoughts to things. Yeah, it's hard to manifest your dream life if you if you don't have if you're not even taking care of yourself. Right. Food really is the foundation for us for creating our Sakara life, for creating our dream life manifested. Because if you don't have your health, if you don't feel good in your body, if you don't feel sexy, if you don't feel strong, if you don't feel healthy, feel healthy, if your moods aren't balanced, if you're if you don't feel happy, you're not going to show up your best at your work. You're not going to show up as your best in your love life. You're not going to show up your best for your children or your other relationships. And so it really starts with with food. It starts with your health and it starts with what you're putting into your body every day. The food that you're feeding yourself and the thoughts that you're feeding yourself. And related to thoughts to things is also something that you're going to hear on this podcast a lot, every episode, in fact, and it's called light work. And it's something that Whitney and I, it's a practice Whitney and I started very early on when we were starting Sakara. And it's related to this idea of growth set mentality of seeking out challenges so that you can shine. It's not, it's leaning toward the uncomfortable instead of leaning for the comfortable or the comfort. And so every episode will have light work and it's supposed to be something that challenges us, that asks us to step outside of ourselves, that asks us to do something maybe we're a little uncomfortable with, like wear that dress that you've always felt, you know. Has been hanging in the closet. one day when I have that body, Mm -hmm. I'll wear it. We're going to ask you to wear it. We're going to ask you, yeah, we're going to ask you to do things that, that will help you shine your light a little brighter by knowing you deserve to shine your light. Mm -hmm. So we're so excited to share this podcast with you. We have some really amazing guests that we'll be introducing to you. People who have inspired us over the years, who have helped us to change the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we see the world. And we can't wait for you to listen to those conversations. Yeah, and we'll also be doing several episodes that are just Whitney and I, with the hopes that, one, you can get to know us a little better. We can get to know each other a little better. Not Whitney and I. We know each other pretty well. (laughs) So follow along and how to live the Sakara life. Sakara really started out as our two individual stories that you just heard and how this food and living this way completely changed and transformed our bodies and our lives. Over the years, we've received thousands of testimonials from clients living the Saqqara life and how this lifestyle has changed their bodies and lives too. We've started calling these testimonials Saqqara stories. As a mission-driven company, these stories are what keeps us and our team motivated and inspired to continue to do the work that we do every single day. We've found these stories from clients to be so moving that we knew we wanted to share them with the community in hopes that perhaps if there's somebody out there who's going through something similar, that they can feel inspired and supported as well. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. 
Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. We'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. This podcast was recorded live at Noya House in New York City. 